0: Father this morning we just come to you Father this first Sunday I pray Father that you would speak to us all of us not just who are sitting here but I pray Father this morning you will speak to all our churches everywhere in every nation all our churches speak Father prepare us Because the promise is the same for all of us. And help us to believe. And help us to prepare. Help us to gird our loins, Lord. And be quick to hear. And even quicker to obey. Because you said in your word, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. Speak to us this morning. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So six day, how are the New Year resolutions working out? Some good resolutions like waking up in the morning, exercising in the morning. Everybody is smiling. Now this guy was standing on the weighing machine and tucking his stomach in. So his wife said, it doesn't make any difference. And he said, it does make a difference because now I can see the numbers. (laughs) That's not the way to exercise. Okay. So this morning, even as we come to the word, I hope you are carrying in your heart the promise for this year from the book of Joel. And I believe, honestly believe that we prepare to be that vessel. Be that vessel. Our job is to prepare and be that vessel to receive that anointing. We have received the promise. Now our job is to prepare. God is faithful. God is faithful. And I do believe this will be the year of overflow. But spiritual first, because God does everything first in the spiritual realm. And our job here is to prepare first spiritually and in every area of our life. But connected with the, the promise we received about the overflow, about the anointing, the spirit coming. We also saw the two enemies of the promise. We have to watch out for those things that blocks and guard our hearts and always fight those things that stand in the way of God fulfilling his promises. Because God does hardly anything in our lives without us cooperating with him because he honors the free will that he has given us. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5 and verse 24, we saw the first warning on 31st night. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. So it's using a term which is connected with the Jewish agriculture uh, landscape. We apply it spiritually. They need the former rain and the latter rain for their harvest. But God says, what stops this? The rain coming, the anointing coming, and the subsequent harvest we will reap in our lives is, they do not say in their heart, fear the Lord. Okay, Remember, that's one of the first blocks. One of the first blocks, because we need to look at those blocks And the second one we saw from the book of Isaiah and verse 32. Rise up, you women who are at ease. You saw. People understood that. And there were so many prayer requests today, Lord, guard me from complacency. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In a year, some days, you will be troubled, you complacent women. For the vintage will fail and the gathering will not come. says in this year specifically. If you are complacent and you are spiritually complacent, he says, the harvest will fail, the vintage will fail, the gathering will not come. And don't blame God at the end of the year. Lord, you promised me and you did not fulfill your promise. He said, I did, but I also warned you. I also warned you. Harvest doesn't, doesn't come like that. There are conditions that need to be met. You will look in the Bible with every promise in the Bible. There is always a condition attached. There are hardly I don't know if there is any unconditional promise in the in the Bible. Everything is conditional, and God says the gathering will Trample you. Women who are at ease, be troubled. You complacent ones. Over, and over the warning is: don't be at ease. Don't take spiritual things lightly. Be troubled. You complacent ones. Strip yourself. Make yourself bare. Gird sackcloth on your waist. People shall moan upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful wine. He says, you want a pleasant field, a real harvest in your life this year and fruitful wine. He says, you will have to get in your prayer closet and really cry out to the Lord. The battle is fought in the prayer closet and the harvest is seen in the field. He says, that's how it happens. It is not that you sit at ease and God will make it all come to pass. God says, no, you're part of it. Don't be at ease in your prayer closet. Your prayer closet in so many ways will decide your harvest this year. Yes. On the land of my people will come up thorns and briars and all the happy homes in the joy. cities says, if you don't, this is the result. What you did not expect. Will come to pass. Because the palaces will be forsaken. The bustling city will be deserted. The forts and towers will become lairs forever. A joy of wild donkeys. A pasture of flocks. Until the spirit is poured upon from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is counted as a forest. So it is the work of God. But there is a part we have to play. And please remember. Don't take these things lightly. Because there are seasons in God's timeline. There are always seasons. You miss that season? Sometimes that season never comes back in your life. That season never comes back in your life. That is the thing. Every time you need to realize. That is like, Eliezer came to the well. He went on his knees. He prayed. He rose. And his prayer was this Lord. The first woman who comes. Rebecca was there. That was her season. And if she had missed, somebody would have been the wife of Isaac. That was the season. There are seasons of God. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Our job is to be faithful to what God has asked us to do. He's always faithful to His what he has promised. Because all these are connected with, with our destiny fear of the Lord and complacency. Guard these two because these are two terrible enemies of God's children that swallow the blessings of God that is reserved for his people. And we don't even realize both are also intimately connected with our salvation. We don't see this. Both are connected with our salvation. The whole purpose of preaching is to bring the unsaved into the kingdom of God and to keep the saved in the kingdom of God. And the whole gospel is often a series of warnings for God's people to be very, very watchful and careful. And Jesus actually says to be watchful and not to cease praying. He says, be watchful always. Our problem is, in so many ways, we have detached salvation and sanctification and obedience. God never detaches these things. They're all part of the same loaf: Salvation, sanctification, obedience, they are the whole package. You cannot separate them. That is what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples. Keep that all in your mind. In Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23, if you know this passage, immediately after that he talks about the two builders, the wise man and the foolish man, the two builders. The next verse is actually that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay? And immediately he will talk about the building, the two builders. And you will see the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 and 47. Why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Do not do the things. There is a doing. That God's people are called to. And this year, God's people are called to pray. Fasting, like I said, the whole of end of December. This is a year that should, you should have that discipline engrafted in your soul of fasting and praying. God says, do what I tell you. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Jesus goes into the parable about the two people who built one on the rock and one on the sand. Because we need to understand, don't take the promises and always look at the temporary world. That's the major issue. I look, I've been listening to so many good preachers, bad theology. They, they're really, really good, all of them. Many of them very young people, really, really good. They put it all beautifully. At the last moment, they twist it and put it into the world. And if you are not careful, you will miss the last twist. And the last twist will destroy your soul. The last twist. Because we don't even understand what is salvation. What is the goal of salvation? Salvation. In 1st Peter chapter 1 and verse 9 says, The end of your faith, receiving the end of your faith is the salvation of your souls. It's not your body. The body is never going to be saved. So if you're listening to the word of God, how to prosper in your body, you haven't understood the gospel. The gospel is the salvation of man's soul. Body, Modi will take care of it, two rupee rice. Soul only God. Salvation of our soul. There is no salvation for this body. This body will be destroyed. Nobody in this body will enter into heaven. There is no salvation for this body. That is why Jesus asked these fundamental questions throughout his ministry. He says, for what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You have got amassed all this. All this things. you can only in your body. But when you die, your body is going nowhere. And your soul doesn't need any of these things. And he loses his soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Ask the rich man in hell. If he could, he would have given his entire wealth he had on earth for his soul. Now he's begging for a drop of water. Because people are not watchful about what is important. It is our soul. Because the assurance, that great assurance of salvation is connected to the soul. What I am saying is that when we hear all these promises, don't do like so many preachers do, translate it into the physical and into the body and miss out on what God is talking about. Because when your soul prospers, then only your body should prosper. Otherwise, we'll be like the children of Israel. Their body prospered and their soul dried up. Scripture says they were dried up in their soul, wasted away in our soul. So it doesn't matter even if you lose a little weight on the way these three are fasting and praying, your soul should prosper. And the assurance should be there. And scripture talks about the assurance of salvation is this in the book of Hebrew. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul the soul also like a ship has an anchor we heard the offertory song on stormy trials everything where the soul gets assurance because both sure and steadfast which enters the presence behind the veil behind the veil the soul is able to go and encounter God's presence and that is the assurance and from your soul you actually know god is my father and i don't have to fear I don't have to fear death at all. I don't have to fear death at all. Because deep inside in your soul, you know. You experience the presence of God. You have gone behind the veil into the most holy place. And you have encountered God over there. It is no longer in your head. You have really experienced it. It is about the soul. And that is the walk of faith. The walk of faith is the saving of the soul. In the process, God takes care of your body, but your focus is not on the body. It is on your soul. In Hebrews chapter 10, 38 and 39, God again reiterates the same thing. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So God also has a soul. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of thee. It is the saving of the soul. Guard your soul. Guard your soul. So the gospel is not primarily about the body. The gospel is about the soul. Put a premium on the soul. So God says there is an overflow this year. This is the year of God's, the Lord's favor. He will He will pour out his spirit on everyone who is prepared. And you prepare in your soul. You put your body to death, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, but it is your soul that is prepared. And there are enemies of that soul. There are enemies. We looked at the two enemies which God wants. Be very, very careful. Receive those things. And that is where the fear of God comes. And we are living in an age where people do not fear God at all. You had to see last week, it was such shameful what was happening in the so-called Christian nation in the world when the Congress is being sworn in, the kind of language women were using, unbelievable language, elected representatives, and... No, you don't even talk on the streets like that. And you know, there is no fear. Like Abraham said, why he lied to Abimelech? Because I thought, there is no fear. When does evil flourish? It's when there is no fear of God. When does evil take a hold of our soul, our tongue, when there is no fear of God? There is no fear of God. That's why Proverbs Chapter 1 and verse 7 talks. It's a new year. It's a new beginning. But says, this is the new beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Real knowledge. Real knowledge is not the knowledge of creation. Solomon had incredible knowledge about the creation. But at the end he eats humble pie and says real knowledge is the knowledge of the creator. That's real knowledge. Not creation. You could have a PhD in physics. A PhD in anthropology. You may be having an MFIL in history. None of those matter if you do not know God. You are a fool. In God's eyes. Real knowledge is the knowledge of the creator of the living God. And scripture says the beginning of that Knowledge. It's a beginning. That's the beginning of the knowledge of God. Begins with the fear of God. So this year, to guard and to prepare and guard the anointing God has promised to give to each one. Ask for the fear of the Lord. Because the Bible constantly speaks about it. Because without it, we really don't even have a clue what God is like. And we are creating. God created man in his image. And those who do not have the fear of God, create God in our own image. And people make these statements, my Jesus won't do that. Which is true, it's your Jesus won't do that, because you don't know him. My God is like that, which is true, that's your God. It's your God. The God of the Bible never changes. And God says, know me and love." The Bible speaks this language in Psalm 33 and verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Now You'll see it's in the Old Testament. No, New Testament, Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. God says, work out your salvation of your soul. Salvation is the salvation of your soul. Work it out with fear and trembling. In Psalm 2, Scripture says this way. In verse 11, serve the Lord with Fear. And even when you rejoice, when something great happens, with trembling. Not jumping, with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Then this is talking about Jesus. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled, but a little. We didn't see this Jesus, but he's there. But blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. So, get our idea of God very clear. This is not sentimental. When God says, fear me, He means, fear me. You can use words like awe and respect and awesome and all. That dulls the effect. And tries to make the gospel palatable to a rebellious generation. No, fear means fear. There is also added to it. Because of his majesty. But fear means fear. I always understood fear as fear. And we are not helping them. Jesus was not... You see like they use the term politically correct. He never used politically correct speech when it came to talking about God and eternity. This is what he said in the gospel according to Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. And I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. You're very afraid of the policemen and all these people who can beat you up. And no, those who can harm your body. You're afraid of sickness, you're afraid of ghosts, though nobody has seen one. You are afraid of so many things. But they only affect your body. And after that they have no more they can do. What can they do after that? But he says, I will show you whom you should fear. Whom should you fear? Fear him who after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. He says, not only the death of your body, that's also in his hands. The death of your soul also is in his hands. He can cast you into hell. I say to you, fear him. You see, Jesus is not politically correct. He's saying when I say fear, I mean fear, not awe. See, I'm honest. When I was a child, I understood fear. I feared my father. It was not awe. And it was this. There was no awe. This was real. When God says fear, He says you need to be very clear. He says we use three terms in theology. First, God sends His word. If you don't listen to the word, He sends the rod. The prophets were the rods He sent to correct them. They did not. Elijah and all the prophets will send the rod of affliction. Three and a half years, no rain. Everybody is starving. If they don't listen to that, third, he sends the sword. The sword of Babylon came and cut Israel down. He has never changed. In history, he cannot change. First, so the best thing is that when you hear the word, obey. You don't have to wait for the rod. But he says, if you don't listen to my word, I will send the the rod. And if you don't listen to the rod, the only thing that is left is the sword. So when God says, fear him, He is commanding us to fear him. And a good dose of it daily. Lord, give me today the spirit of the fear of God. It is very healthy for the soul. Very healthy. Honestly, this year when you go into your prayer closet, don't ask for the anointing first. Ask every day for the fear of God. Your conversation will change. Your conversation will change. You'll be very, very careful about every word you speak. Because you will suddenly realize he meant what he said. Every careless word you shall give account to me, suddenly you realize he is serious. He will take everything seriously. it will keep you from a lot of trouble. Because he means what he says. If he said, this is what will happen to the people who are gluttonous in their eating habit," suddenly you will realize he meant what he said. When he said, do not even look at wine, wine is a mocker, you will suddenly realize what he meant. You will suddenly realize, we have a God who means what he says. You see, when the fear of the Lord comes into our spirits only, we will start taking his word seriously. Otherwise, we are looking for promises to prop us on this way in this world. God says, no, this is the salvation of your soul. This is where the prosperity of your soul lies. So be very, very careful. When you get into your closet, first thing you ask is this. It will keep us, young people, especially because you're very young and have received the word early. It will keep you from a lot of trouble in life. Unwanted trouble. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, very familiar portion of Jesus' prayer life, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him. You look at his prayer life. He prayed, he gave supplications, he cried loudly, and he cried. Tears used to roll down. Right? But do you know why God heard him? God heard him. Because of his godly fear. When you get into your prayer closet, God is not first looking at your crying. He's not looking at your words. He's not looking at your tears. He's looking into your heart. Do you fear me? Do you fear me? That's the first thing. Do you know who I am? Do you fear me? He looked at his son. And he answered his son's prayer. Because he knew His son feared him and was crying out to protect his soul. Father, let me not sin against you in my soul. Let me not sin against you. And the father heard him. When Abraham tied his son onto the altar and raised his knife, and God said, stay your hand, Abraham. Don't kill him. And now I know you fear me. And he says, the promise I have spoke to you years and years ago will come to pass now. Because you have proved what? The fear of the Lord is there in you. You have guarded it. Don't discard these things. Old Testament, New Testament, us, his own son. It is the same story. It doesn't change. Because more than anything else, if you receive this, you can sanctify this vessel. And keep it sanctified. Keeps you from a lot of trouble. Today, go back home and all those who have Bible apps on your phone, go on to that and just do a search on fear of the Lord or fear of God. Suddenly an entire dimension of God's kingdom will pop up. Including in that famous verse in the book of Exodus, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, when they saw the thunder and lightning, they were all afraid. Moses said, God said through Moses, "Tell them not to be afraid of these sights. The fear of the Lord will come upon them; that will keep them from sinning." That's what he says. If I'm right, it's Exodus twenty and verse twenty-four. That's what he says. This is not this 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 fear like you are afraid of ghosts and all. He's not talking about that. Exodus twenty twenty. He's actually saying this. This is. A different kind of a fear which the Holy Spirit gives you. This is not given by unknown entities of this world. It is something the Holy Spirit will put it into you. Holy Spirit puts it into you. Scripture says, Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you. That is fear may be before you so that you may not sin. This is, it looks like a contradiction. Do not fear, but his fear has come. This fear is an irrational fear. People fear of poverty, sickness, death, and all this. It's not that fear. This is a different kind of fear. This fear will come upon you so that you do not sin against the living God. Since we looked into that, let me give you one more verse. You know it, but there may be people who are new and who do not know it. Look at Jesus Christ in the book of Isaiah and chapter 11 and verses 1 to 3. How did Jesus guard his relationship with his father how did he guard his relationship consistently this is talking about jesus they shall come forth a rod from the stem of jesse a branch shall grow out of his roots the spirit of the lord shall rest upon him that's what we want lord let your spirit rest upon me this year and along with it lord i want all the gifts the holy spirit gives what is it the spirit of wisdom wow Spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. See, this is from the Holy Spirit. The other is from the devil. God says people so quickly receive the fear that the devil gives and are not quick to receive the fear which the Holy Spirit gives. The one makes you a slave, the other frees you to walk like a son. That's the difference. So when they saw the thunder, lightning, they all said, Jesus said, Moses told, don't be afraid. Don't fear. But the fear of the Lord has come. Which will keep you from sinning. And this is what came upon Jesus. And he had all these sevenfold spirit upon him. But the key part is is when it's relationship, all the others you need for your ministry. You need wisdom, you need understanding, you need power, you need knowledge, you all need this for ministry. But even as your ministry flows, you have to be connected to God all the days of your life. That is why the seventh one is given. Therefore scripture records in verse 3, his delight. Jesus' delight is in the fear of the Lord, not in wisdom, not in understanding, not in knowledge, not in power, not in mind. He delighted in the spirit of the fear of the Lord because that kept him intimate and close to the Father. So this year, even as we ask this, change the way we think about God. This is about the salvation of the soul and not your promotion in your office. We are not talking about that. That's why I get upset with preachers who will take these fundamental, incredible promises in the Bible and then make it look so silly by connecting it to a promotion in your office. As if Jesus came and died on the cross to promote you in the office. He came and died to pay that price for the salvation of your soul. And as your soul prospers, your promotion will automatically come. God will promote you. And when God promotes you, nobody can demote you. Let God promote. That will be all behind you. It will follow you. You don't keep that in the front. If you keep that in the front, you lose what life is all about. You forget the meaning of life. The meaning of life is the salvation of our soul. And when our soul is fat, when our soul is prospering, you enjoy the company of God. You enjoy being with God. You enjoy being with God's people. You enjoy the word of God. Because this is all connected with the soul. That's what scripture is talking about. How did Jesus, how did Jesus keep his relationship with his father from the beginning till the end? Even on the cross, scripture says he prayed, he cried, he shed tears. But God Heard him because of his godly fear. And here Isaiah had prophesied 600 years ago that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jesus and gives him these various gifts, one gift he will delight in is the gift of the fear of the Lord. So first, as we begin this year, today or tomorrow, whenever you get into your prayer closet, and each day you get into your prayer closet, first ask for that Lord. Give me that Lord, that I do not sin against you. So that, oh Lord, when you speak, I can hear. When I'm going through trouble, I am secure. Because your word says nothing can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus except sin. Except sin. And scripture says it is the fear of the Lord that keeps you from sinning. A lot of people don't experience those things which is surrounded by it. It's only because something is blocking that experience inside. And God says, What keeps you clean? Look at other places. You will see the fear of the Lord is clean. It's clean. It's pure. So this morning, don't change the truth. Don't change the truth. God's word makes it very, very clear that the first sin To enter into the first church, the church when it began full of power, full of love, full of joy, full of ministry happening, churches doing so great. The first sin to enter into the church was deception. Was deception. And deception entered because a couple and slowly the church was losing the fear of God. That's how deception enters. Because you know what? How the devil deceives you? Devil will deceive you by saying God loves you so much, so it doesn't matter what you do. He understands. It's a deception. He's changed the nature of God. He's made God a liberal democrat. He's not. God loves us so much. The truth is that he allowed his son to be afflicted on the cross and die for us. That's the truth. For sin. So the first sin to enter, the sin entered into the first day's acts, is because people were losing the fear of God. And two people tried to take the deception from the back all the way to the front. A couple moved from the back and an act of deception tried to pretend they were giving all their offering. They brought it to the apostles without realizing the apostles were standing there full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in them judged that couple and the couple died. Look at what the record is written in the book of Acts about the, the first judgment that took place in the church. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. God was very kind. He's giving each one. When you stand before God, you don't stand as a family. You stand as individuals. Husband, wife. Whoever dies first, goes first. God doesn't wait. No, no, no. Let your wife also die. Then I will call you together. No, each one, one by one. Each one will only stand alone. So, in his mercy, he's giving everybody a chance. First, Ananias went in alone. He died. And then, Sapphira went in. She's given a chance. She also lied. She died. And scripture says, Immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church, and upon all who heard these things. The fear of God, was restored into the church. God doesn't do those things anymore. Because if you do, every church would be shut down by the government. Because how do you account for dead bodies in the place of life? How do you account? Honestly. Almost every church would be shut down. Because people will die in church. But in the first day's church, God was setting out... A message, like when Israel began and the temple worship has been installed, everything as it began, the high priest's two sons did not have the fear of the Lord. So the scripture says, offered profane fire and fire came out from the Lord's presence and killed them both. And God told Aaron through Moses, it's his two sons who are dead. He told, you will not mourn. When God judges somebody who is very close to you and die, God tells, don't mourn. It's my judgment. It's not a natural death. It's a judgmental death. Don't mourn. Take them out. So you will see the everything is parallel. Balance it always. Always balance it. Scripture, because if we don't balance it, we don't understand Scripture. Old Testament temple beginning, New Covenant church beginning. God says, see that you have the appropriate fear of God in your life. Otherwise, you know what? You could end up losing your salvation. End up losing your salvation. So we have to come back to the spiritual attitudes of the first acts church who received the former rain, so that we can receive the former and the latter. That's what the whole worldwide church is preparing to receive. One more infilling, one more harvest, And I believe the Lord of the harvest will come. So salvation is the salvation of the soul. And the soul needs a very healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. Ask for it every day. If Jesus himself asked, received, and delighted in it, can we be far behind? I'll tell you honestly, once you receive it, and start receiving, everything will start changing in your life. Your attitude to life will change. Your attitude to God will change. Your attitude to God's things will change. And you will realize something has happened inside. Something has, even this will change. Because when you receive the fear of God, He opens your eyes to understand this. Because the fear of God is the beginning. Because Jesus himself teaches these things in parables so that we understand it. He said, the kingdom of God. This is all about the kingdom of God. A hidden realm revealed to people who fear God and search it. He says, the kingdom of God is like a pearl of incredible value. A merchant went, found it. He went back home. He sold everything and went and purchased it. His kingdom of God is like a precious pearl. And then he told something, do not throw your pearls before swine. Those who fear, do not fear God are like swine. He will never open their eyes to understand who He is and what, how His kingdom functions. He will not. I'm not saying we will not fail. We will not fall. We will not sin. But those who sin, those who have the fear of God will automatically repent and turn back and put it right with God. Because the fear of God itself will drive them. I'm not talking about a perfect life. I'm talking about walking blameless before God. That even when you fall, the fear of God will propel you to go back. That was the difference between Saul and David. David was a man who had the fear of God. Therefore God could restore him. So get these fundamentals in place and ask this here, Lord, sanctify me, Lord, cleanse me, Lord. Give me this, Lord, so that when you fill it, I will guard it. I will guard it. Because people like Samson, people like Saul, though they were anointed, never guarded that anointing because they had no fear of God. Casual about the things of God. Absolutely casual. We cannot be casual about the things of God. So this year, ask and receive. Second thing we saw, the second issue comes is complacency. Oh, women. Women is talking about churches and individual believers. Don't be complacent. Easy, happy-go-lucky, easy attitude. People like those people in this world. God doesn't. Are, it Are is so much fun to be around them. God says it is not funny at all. These complacent people who are forever sitting on the wall. Are you playing cricket or hockey? Depends. Are you following Baal or Jehovah? Depends. complacent about life, about their soul, about God. And the history of Israel actually deals with these two sins. The lack of fear of God and absolutely complacent about the things of God. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, scripture, Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul will talk about our body or the church as a body. And we all have parts of A body. And every part is entrusted with a task. Every part is entrusted with a task. And all the parts have to cooperate. Imagine tomorrow, I my feet takes me all the way to this place. 4000 kilometers away. When I reach there, my mouth refuses to open. Can I function? Can I function? God says, can a church function? Can a church function? One body, different parts. The body of Christ is a single unit, composed of many units, that have come together to perform one singular goal. That's why God tells the whole body, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Whether you are a student, whether you are an employee, whether you are retired, it doesn't matter. Goal is same. What? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When you have 10 people seeking first the kingdom of God, you have the first unity by the same objective. Everybody is seeking first the kingdom of God and therefore God is able to speak to those 10. Because objective is same. They are all seeking first So your job occupation doesn't matter. All ten are seeking first the kingdom of God. Then those who are united by this objective. Are given tasks. And they are united now in the task. Tasks may be different. Like my mind. Is focused. Tomorrow I go. Tomorrow I need to. So if. Every part of my body is working in correlation to that one task because oh, my hand is not saying you want to pack. I am not packing. Let the left hand pack. No, both hands help me to pack my bags. The mind says, okay, I'm going to blank out. So you forget what to take. No. Can you understand what God is trying to tell in Corinthians 12? That's why in the book of Joshua, when Israel went into the promised land and one man took a piece of gold and a cloth, God said, Israel sinned. Israel stole. He didn't say, "Akan sinned. And Akkan stole. He said, no, until that man and his entire household is destroyed, Israel cannot be restored. And that's what God is talking about. In these last days, the church has to become a one single unit. God only recognizes that. But for that to become that single unit, our objective is very clear. First, seek ye first, the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. That is what happens in baptism. In baptism, actual true baptism, the person dies to his, himself and all his plans and purposes in this world rises up in Christ Jesus with one objective. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. 2000 years ago when the church began with a set of people who were baptized, not followers, not hearers, not visitors, Not guess, 3,000 people who died to self, they rose again. Scripture sets the shift. It says they gathered daily for the apostles' doctrine, for fellowship, for judgment, and for prayer. They had become one unit. Absolutely one unit. And that's the only unit God recognizes. God only recognizes disciples. He does not recognize his crowds. And when crowds followed him, he always had something to tell the crowds and tell them this is the standard of the disciple because I have come to make disciples. And he was never worried about the numbers. That's why he had tens and thousands of followers, but he only picked 11. So that's enough. Kingdom of God does not work on crowds. The kingdom of God functions on disciples. So this year, tell Lord, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a disciple. And in there, complacency is not accepted. There is no complacency is not accepted in the life of a disciple. Because there is an increasing struggle going on. Evil increasing. Generation to generation you see evil is increasing. And God himself proclaimed this. When Israel came out of Egypt and went into their first battle. Israel the new generation is fighting their first battle. And God makes a proclamation about that battle. In Exodus 17, he says, because the Lord has won, the Lord will war with Amalek from generation to generation. And every disciple is is involved in this battle. Those who are not disciples have given up that battle. So you will see, Saul is not a disciple, therefore he will not fight Amalek. He will preserve the king of Amalek. But Esther, a th- thousand years later, we do saw during the time of fasting and prayer. Amalek is here. A thousand years later, Israel has been dispersed in Babylon. But an Amalek rises over there called Haman, who is an Agagite. And Esther rises up, who is a Jew. And Haman's whole idea is to destroy God's people. And a girl has to rise, go to the king. Receive favor and start the battle to preserve God's people. Generation to generation to generation, this battle continues. And we are all part of this battle. God says there is no cessation from this battle. Until he comes down and treads upon all his enemies and rules his earth with a scepter of iron. This battle doesn't cease. And he says complacency is not accepted in the life of a disciple. You cannot be complacent. And this is a symbol of the battle. And the book of Judges is a record of what happened when Israel became very casual about this battle. You have to fight sin every day. When you become very casual about those words you speak and the things you do, which is contrary to God's advice, his law, his word, very casual about it. God says, you know what happened? Amalek wins. The enemy wins and I am righteous I will hand you over. And the book of judges is a record of complacency. What complacency brings in the life of a believer. This is what happens when the fear of the Lord disappears and complacency. It's so interesting if you look at the record, if you look at it. It is like when will these people learn? And when you say that God is asking us when will you learn? Look at it judges. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies. That is one. And after 20-30 years later. Again, next portion. Judges. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon king of Moab against Israel. Because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. When their enemy overpowers them, something terrible happens in your life, you cry out to the Lord, Lord, deliver me. God says, it's okay. I will deliver you. Now walk with me. A little later, Israel will again go back. Now again, they are slaves. Again, they will cry out. Again, God will deliver. This is the... Turn of their life. Look at the next one. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Meaning to keep them on the straight line, you needed a strong leader. If the strong leader was there, the minute the leader is gone, they go. Where did it start? It started in the desert. When Moses went up the mountain, they went to the golden calf. It started there. It continued in their history. Moses was there, everybody is good. When Joshua is there, everybody is good. When the leaders go, people run wild. Yehud is gone. Again they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of... Next verse. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midian for seven years. Are there more? Plenty, right? Come, next one. Ten. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah, the gods of Surya, the gods of Sidon, the gods of India. True. Most Christians I know, they worship, when it comes to their children, they don't worship Jesus. They worship Saraswati, education is their God. And they will sacrifice anything to put their children through that. In Kathmandu we say this, in the pastor's conference we say this. We say, it's funnier in Nepali, but we say this, a father has three children. Oh, this fellow is good in studies, engineer. Ah, oh, this fellow is smart in maths, uh, in biology. He should be a doctor. Oh, this fellow is weak in studies. Send him to Bible college. That's exactly what they do. The weak and the useless kids, they send them to Bible college because that's how Christians regard their God. That's why we pride. We left the best to serve God. First we attained there, then we came out. This is the mentality of God's people when, the, when it comes to serving God. They give the best to the world. And when the world takes them away, they sit and cry. And they reserve the worst for God. Oh, useless fellow, class and fail. I think that Bible college will take you. That's how they think about God. God says, don't I know your heart? And we a oh, good studying kid He leaves his profession and comes to ministry. Everybody's tearing their head. Oh fool, why did you? To serve God is foolish. Think how we think. Reorient your thinking because our God will not be mocked. They did evil. God handed them over. For the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them in the hands of Philistines. You see, the enemies are different, different meaning. The demons that take over and control our lives will be different each time. It won't be the same. They will oppress us. They oppress different ones. He says for a season you walked right and again you go back. Another oppression will come into your life. Because I told you, you are my house. You are my people called and saved to serve me. You serve something else. That spirit over it will take over you. 13.1 Again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them in the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Finally you will realize you look in the book of Judges. God gives up on them. Now Israel is not fighting their enemies, they are fighting among themselves. End of the book of Judges, Israel is fighting among themselves, killing each other. That's what the history of Israel, the history of the church is also. Instead of fighting powers of darkness, they are busy fighting among themselves. Because why? God said, I handed you over. You didn't realize salvation was the salvation of your soul. So don't be complacent this year. Don't dare to be complacent. Because we have to learn from all these things return. Because if you serve your flesh, you are a servant of the flesh. If you serve the world, you are a servant of the world. But if you serve the spirit, you are a servant of the spirit. So choose this day whom you will serve. There is a situation described Interesting situation described in the book of Judges. It's found in Judges 5, 6, and 7. During one of these oppression, Bible talks about, and we have to look at it into our own terms, spiritually discern it. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel. We're telling you a glimpse of Israel's history when they have been given over to the enemy. Village life has ceased. Highways are deserted. You look at that highway, nobody walks in that highway because enemies have taken over the streets. Nobody walks in those highways. How do you discern this spiritually and apply it? What does the Bible talk about highways in Isaiah 35, verse 8 and 9? Scripture says, a highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. You see the highway of holiness in today's church is empty. Nobody preaches that. Nobody is interested in preaching because you preach that you lose people. And if you lose people, you lose money. Because the church has been tied to money, not to God. To money. So the highway is deserted. God's highway is deserted. Nobody is walking on those highways anymore. That's what God is saying. Now where are the travelers? The travelers are all taking scriptures. says byways. From highways to byways. Shortcuts to poverty. Shortcuts to the heaven. Byways. Not God's ordained highway. And what has ceased? Verse 7 back again. Village life has ceased. What has ceased? You know what village life is? Village life is absolutely different from city life. Villages are a close-knit community. Absolutely close-knit community. One wedding means the whole village is there. Once, 14 years, Pastor Cyrus's wedding, I went for the wedding. It is a small little village in Sikkim. The whole village was there. It was the village who did the wedding. And I was put in one of the homes. Everybody was put in homes. No restaurant, no hotel, nothing. Everything was done in the village. All the Christians together. Village life means a close-knit life of believers, of fellowship. What has ceased? Do you see that in churches? Everybody is a visitor. Everybody is too busy after that. Village life has ceased. There's no fellowship. How did the church begin? Because if she really authentically wants God to move again in our generation, we have to go back to our spiritual roots. Because God will not do things contrary to his ways. The book of Acts talks about when the church began, village life was restored. What does scripture say there? Now all who believed were together and had things in common. They were one big family. Lived in different homes. But one big family. They were connected. And God says, are we connected that way? Because there is one more move of God before anything that will happen. And God has prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus spoke about it in the New Testament. In Malachi 4, 6 scripture says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. He said it's going to be a restoration in the last days. He's going to bring people back together, two generations together that has been split by this world by pursuing goals that are anti-God. That's what split families. The root cause of the split in families. Where families were split in their goal. They were not seeking the kingdom of God. Righteousness. They started seeking other things. And two generations were split apart. And God says. I will bring our restoration. In these last days. But. For that to happen, for the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of repentance to come back. Something also you need to realize, spiritually in this dry season, something has to happen. Verse 5 says, until I, Deborah, arose, a mother arose in Israel. The mothers have to rise now. If the mothers don't rise, there is no restoration in the church. The mothers have to be found in the closet crying out for restoration. I, Deborah, rose. A mother rose in Israel and God started the job of restoring. Everybody has their place in God's restoration plan. Nobody is left behind. Everybody has. I, Deborah, a mother arose. God is asking this year, will mothers arise this year? Will leaders arise? Will people arise? Because if you arise, my plan for the last days will come to pass. Will come to pass. Why did Israel come to this stage? You look at it. Why did Israel come to this stage? Scripture says, reason because they chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. A set of people who have Picked up new goals and new gods. Have no spiritual vitality to fight the enemy. When your spiritual life is so shrunk, You have no time for prayer. You have no time to fast. You have no time to meditate. You have no time to fellowship. Where do you have the strength to fight the powers of darkness? There is no spear. There is no shield. Everybody is. weaponless Because these things are all found in the prayer closet. These things are all found in close-knit churches who know their goal is very clear. It is to bring the kingdom down. It is to win souls for the Lord. It is not the prosperity of the body. It is not. As my soul prospers, dearly beloved, I want you to prosper in all things, but not at the cost of your soul like the children of Israel, as your soul prospers. We have changed our goals. We have changed our targets. We have made our God into another Baal. That's what we have done. And God says, no. A Deborah arose. The picture of a praying mother who will arise, a prophetic mother who will arise. And scripture says, what happens in verse 9? She will. My heart is with the rulers of Israel. He says, I am with the leaders. The mother in the closet is crying out for God's leaders. She, God will reveal to her and to them. Who are the true leaders of God's people. Who are trying to bring restoration in the house of God. In the things of God. And the people who offer themselves willingly. This is no forced conscription. It's a vo- all volunteer army. It's an all volunteer army. No conscription. No compulsory. God says, who willingly give over their lives for this cause? That's what David said when his brother Eliab said, when he came to the battlefield, why are you coming over there, leaving all these sheep? He turned aside and says, is it not there a cause? Isn't there a cause? For 2,000 years, the bridegroom is waiting for the bride to get ready. Is not the cause? Well, Peter says the church can hasten his coming. The only entity which has the power to make Jesus come fast is the church. But the church is so much involved in the world, they don't want him to come. God says a set of people will arise. Mothers will arise. Leaders will arise. And a set of people who will willingly give them over to the cause of the kingdom. Cause of the kingdom. And that's what God is talking about. Will we? It will begin when we get into our closets and start hearing about God. Verse 2 says, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord. When leaders start leading. Leaders start leading the people in spiritual things, not in carnal things. That's really a genuine leadership. And people willingly follow. Yes. Oh, put on banners over there. Oh, healing and meeting, blessing meeting, deliverance meeting, prosperity meeting. Oh, people will all come running. Even the fellow who does not know God will come running. Prosperity, who doesn't want it? Deliverance and salvation of the soul, fasting and prayer. Ah, oh, not again. Because we have not understood the heart of God. We have not understood the heart of God. We are chill chasing. What they say in English, chimeras. Miras in the desert. When we find a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, it will dry empty in our mouths. You look at the people who achieved all all these dreams, sitting lonely, miserable in their soul. Why? Because God said, I created you for myself. You will never be satisfied with anything other than me. That day was a great day of victory. Please understand the enemy was very, very fierce. Judges chapter 4, 1 to 3 records the enemy. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. And what about him? Verse 3. Children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron talks of the oppression they're facing. These guys have no spear, no sword, no shield, no boldness, nothing. This guy has not only got an army, he's got 900. It's like tanks of those days. 900 iron chariots. God is showing us the level of oppression. Look at the level of oppression in this world. The level of oppression. Drug abuse. You talk about abuse, it's only abuse. Nothing else. God's people and the other people absolutely, totally abused under the powers of darkness. But when the nation came together that day as one man, God wrought a great victory through them. When the mother rose and the leaders rose and the people willingly, God arose with them. Heaven joined the battle that was happening on earth. Heaven joined the battle. This is how it records. They fought from the heavens. They fought from the heavens. God will not stand as spectator. When God's children gather to fight for his causes, he will not stand as a spectator. He says, I will join the battle. That's why we pray, Lord, let our God arise. And he's not mine. If his enemies are my enemies, then they will scatter. His enemies scatter. Let God arise. God arose. And the stars from their courses fought against And The torrent of Kishon set them away. What is scripture talking about? A real probably even took place. These people have no power to fight the chariots. And the heavens opened. It poured. And the chariots were all caught in the mud. That's what happened earlier also. When Israel crossed on dry land. And the chariots of Pharaoh. The waters closed over. God intervened in the battle. God is the God who intervenes in the battles of his children... When they are battling for the kingdom... And they are his cause. And in the midst of this incredible victory... When the nation came together as one... God... Whole nation together... Led by a mother and a leader called Barak... And nation has come together... God has joined from heaven. There is one discordant note in that entire symphony. The entire symphony is playing in the battlefield, literally like music going in tandem. One discordant note is there. It is a terrible curse pronounced not on earth, but from heaven. In verse 23, there is a curse. It says, curse Merrow, said the angel of the Lord. Curse the inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord Almighty. Do you think God needs help? No, God doesn't need help, but his people needs. He said, all those who are complacent in the hour of battle, let them be cursed. That's what Moses told, Joshua told the two tribes who wanted to be on this side of Jordan. He says, your brothers are going to fight. You're going to sit over here. Your sin will find you out one day. Complacency will cost you eternity. Curse be Meros. You go back in history. Nobody even knows the name of Meros. There is no trace of that city at all. Wiped out from human memory. Wiped out from human geography. Because, he says, in the hour of battle, when your brothers were all fighting, you decided, Because they did not come to the help. And God took it personally. God did not say they did not come in the help of the brothers. They said they did not come to my help. It's a very contradictory statement. Does God need help? No. But God identifies himself fully with his people. And when I as a part of the church refuse to be part of the church's battle, God says, you didn't help me. You didn't help me. You didn't help me. That's what God is talking about. Will our spiritual eyes open? Do we understand God never changes his ways? He's the same God. He's incredibly zealous for his people. When Saul of Tarsus are going around harming his people, the first thing he asks is, Saul, Saul, why are you harming me? And he said, you? Yeah. You think you can separate me from my... You kick the people? You are kicking me. I feel the pain. I feel the hurt. You cannot divide the head and the body. So if I don't help the body, the head is offended by saying, at the hour of my help, you were not there. Curse be meros. Complacency will take a lot. It will cost you. Look through Israel's history. It has always cost the people who were complacent cost them eternally. God says, don't be complacent. Arrow stands for those who are willing to see others fight the battle of God. They reap the fruit of the victory but refuse to help in the battle. One set of people pray and fast for protection, for prosperity. Everybody prospers. But you don't fast. You won't pray. You won't get involved. But you are taking the fruit of somebody's labor. God says, whole of Israel was under Canaan under Sisera. Once the people united and fought, Sisera was overthrown, Israel is free, Meroz also is free. Oh, you like the fruit of somebody's labor. like the fruit of somebody's labor. God says, really? I always tell young people, you never know timings with God. I shared yesterday as a testimony when I said when I was I was just starting off with the Lord in the pastor's my, 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 that, that my then pastor's house Wednesday there was a prayer meeting nobody would come nobody would come I was the only one who would be going for the prayer meeting after finishing my work from the office reaching at 6 finishing the work at home I am going I am going I am going I said when I look back at it I realize that is One of the reasons why God picked me. Church was full like this. Nobody would come. Nobody would come. I'm not saying you should come because of distance. I'm saying do you at least get into your own closets and pray for God's kingdom? Five minutes, ten minutes and start God speaking to you? Do you understand what the kingdom is? when the kingdom comes and the king sits in his throne, the awesomeness of that scene where scripture says heaven and sky fled from his face. Like a scroll being opened. Everything fled when they realize who God actually is. That is the day of glory. On the day of glory, do you want to put your head down? I was telling the young people about the 600 men who followed David, 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 years, 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 years. At the final day, they're gone, reached Ziglag, is burned down, everybody is messed up, everybody is turning their hand against David. David refuses to give up because he's a leader, he's a true leader. True leaders never give up in the midst of calamities. They never give up even everybody leaves them. They will still stand alone. And Moses stood alone. Elijah stood alone. David stood alone. And encouraged himself in the Lord. And he said, "Abiathar, bring the effort. I want to hear from the Lord. Yes, we have lost everything. But we haven't lost the battle yet. And the Lord speaks to him and says, pursue, overtake, recover all. And now the 600 tired men get their energy back. They are ready to fight. 200 people says, we are too tired. You are not coming. David says, fine. I don't want tired people with me. You take care of the baggage. It's good. He's a leader. He's immediately thinking, you do one thing. All these soldiers is 400. Put your baggage over here. We are lighter. We can run faster. Can okay, run faster. Go. You keep here with the baggage. And David wins that battle. Recovers all. The news comes, Saul is dead. He is king. By the day of his glory, 200 people who followed him for years are missing. Looking after baggage. I'm saying on the day of the Lord's glory, don't be found missing after serving Him all these years. After walking with Him all these years, don't be found missing on that great day because you said you are too tired. 400 people shared in that glory. There are seasons and there are times and you will only know it when you are in your closet with God. He doesn't speak to the casual. He speaks to those who are serious. And you're serious. that is why Jesus said, when you pray secret, when you fast in secret, when you give in secret, when it becomes a lifestyle, He knows and you prove to Him you are serious about Him. And He's serious about you. Be serious this year. Absolutely serious this year. so many in the world who just are casual bystanders when the church is engaged in a mortal battle with powers of darkness for the souls of men, women, and children. There are so many Christians who literally typify the spirit of meros the sin of mirrors was the sin of pure inaction, complacency. Not the sin of commission, but the sin of omission. And the new covenant, the apostle James through the Holy Spirit will put it this way. In James 4, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do, to him it is sin. Everybody has heard from the mouth of Jesus when you pray. When you fast, as the day approach, keep on gathering, keep on encouraging. These are all the words of the Lord. You know what is to be done. But when you do not do it, it is the sin of meros, the sin of complacency. God says, be careful. Be careful. God is not a God who changes his ways. He's always the same. Because we hear so much about wrong thinking and right doing. But this is the sin of doing nothing. Curse be meros, said the angel of the Lord. And Luke 13 and verse 7, The Lord said, he said the keeper of the vineyard, Look for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and final. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Cut it down. Cut it down. The keeper of the vineyard pleads. Jesus pleads. He has given us one more year. So that we can be fruitful this year. At the end of the year. The Lord of the harvest had said. Cut it down. So many lives in my church. Absolutely useless for the kingdom. Cut it down. The Lord pleaded. No Lord. One more year for them. They may be fruitful this year. They may be useful to us this year. Pleading. That's why scripture says he is forever making intercession. Because if he doesn't intercede, the hand of the Lord will come upon so many millions. Useless, unprotective in the kingdom of God. And God said, it is to you, my father's glory that you bear much fruit. We need to be very, very careful about these things. One of the reasons... Is because of fear. This is a war. And cowards never win any war. This is cowardice. The sin of mirrors was cowardice. They're crippled by fear. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Because He knows Timothy is a fearful creature. He says, Don't let anybody intimidate you because you are young and called to minister. Don't be fearful to exhort, to correct, to encourage. When you stand with behind the pulpit, know who you are. Don't let anybody look at your age and you be crippled by fear. He says, no. Fear has crippled so many of God's people. Fear of loss in this world. And that's why God said, if you think loss in this world is not gain, you cannot be partaker of God's kingdom. Crippled by fear. You see, this spirit that day had started with Barak. Oh, I can't go. Deborah, please hold my hand. If you don't come, I am not going. It started there. Bible is very clear. The fearful have no place in heaven. Because heaven is a place of warriors. When you reach heaven, you will see everyone was a warrior. Overcome us. More than conquerors. There are no cowards in heaven. You can be covered on earth. You cannot be covered in heaven. Heaven is all made of the mold of Jesus Christ, the captain of hosts, who has never lost a single war. They're all warriors. And God said, you have been called to spiritual warfare. You've been called for this. That's the call of the church. Call to battle. Every hand on the deck. Outwardly, it doesn't matter. Like I gave the old illustration. You have these two huge ships floating in the ocean. One is a cruise liner. The other is a battleship. Outwardly, they look the same. Inwardly, they are totally different. Here, everybody is vacationing, lying near the swimming pool, eating, gambling, dancing, singing. The other ones, when the commander says, all at the deck, everyone, including the cook, is ready to fight because they know their purpose. We are a battleship. This is a set of tourists. And the kingdom of God and the church is not a set of tourists. This is a battleship. And the battle will finish only when he lands on earth. Till then we fight. Or till the moment you die. It is a battle. 2019 is a year of great promise. But it is also a year of battle. And be battle ready. And you get battle ready in your prayer closets. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't be fearful. On the day of battle, when Gideon was leader, the next generation after this, where 32,000 came, the first thing God says is, let the fearful go. 20,000 left. they all left. Fearful left. This is not a party. This is a battle. And fearful have no place. Because the problem in a battle is, fear attracts the enemy and dispel the enemy. That's why commanders don't want fearful people in the midst. You know, what is the order in actual battalions and in the old days, even today, when a battalion is charging, if one fellow turns around, the order is shoot him. Because one runs, two will run, three will run. Before you know, the whole battalion is retreating, so the commander will say, shoot him now, so that nobody runs. Fearful have no place in the war. So there is no place for the fearful. And God has said it very clearly. I have not given you the spirit of fear. Don't receive it. He says I have given you the spirit of power. Of love and of a sound mind. Don't be timid when it comes to Because the kingdom of God advances with violence. And the violence take it by force. This is not physical violence. This is spiritual wine. Deborah is a simple housewife, but she rises up as a prayer warrior, as a prophetess rising up Israel to war. On her knees, she's a prayer warrior. She's a warrior. In her house, she's a wife and she's a mother. We're not talking about physical battles. We're talking about spiritual battle. Even the most frail, old saint on his or her knees makes Powers of darkness tremble because they know that is dangerous. They are not scared of Hillary Clinton or Nancy Pelosi. They are scared of praying women. That is a power. You want to know about what true feminism is? True biblical feminism. Mothers like Deborah Arise. That is true feminism. Power for battle. That is true feminism. Women after God's own heart. Leaders after God's own heart. And a people who willingly have surrendered themselves to God's cause. And God says, arise. 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 That day belonged to two simple women. One arose. Israel gathered. The army of the enemy broke. The leader ran. He hid in a tent and scripture says in Judges 5 and verse 26, this is what scripture says. Her name is Jael, a simple girl. She saw the enemy. She said, please come here. Drink some milk. Lie down. She took a nail and a hammer and drove it down the head. God saying, simple women will arise this year and under their feet will be powers of darkness. They will crush the head of demonic entities if you arise. God is not looking for intelligent, smart people. He's looking for simple men and women of faith who will take all the promises of God and say, Lord, here I am. Fill me with your power. I will go fight this battle, men and women. That day, the battle belonged to two women. Deborah and Jael, simple women. Both housewives. Jael did what Meros could have done. And that day the glory would have belonged to the city of marriage the village of Meros. Sisera is coming, taking him and killing They didn't. They let him go by. Be careful of complacency. Be careful of fear. Be careful of spiritual laziness. Be very careful. Proverbs 6, 9 to 11 talks about this. How long will you slumber, you sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Old Testament? Physical? New Testament? Spiritual? How long will you spiritually sleep? When there is a battle raging for the souls of another generation taken over by porn and drugs. You are going to sit there and watch this generation go to hell? He says, cut down your sleep. Get down and fight on your knees. New Testament puts it this way. And do this knowing that the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast for the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lividness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And get into your closet. Heaven joins with you in the battle. Put on Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. To fulfill the lust. Get off from your spiritual slumber. God is saying this here. Start. Even the little ones start. 5 minutes, 10 minutes, start. And you will see when you do that, God will start increasing your strength and increasing your time of battle. Start, God says. Start. So now as we go to the table, to communion, let us be a sanctified people. This is how sanctification comes because it is part and parcel of salvation. Part and part of salvation. Nobody has ever lost in the kingdom of God because they fasted and prayed, they lost a promotion. No! They have gained. I've shared this with the young people many times. I still remember the year I got saved and the week I gave my life of ministry, it was that I can remember it very clearly. I was the only one put up my hand in the watch nights and in the night service, what you call bonfire at the youth host at Bailey. The EU camp was going on And day they used to teach, night pray, night teach. And one night they asked, anybody here who wants to put serve the Lord full time? And this is in the year 1993 when I'm doing my degree first year. I don't know what happened. I put my hand up and I looked around. Only my hand is there. And I'm telling you, 25 years later, 35 years later, the hand is still up. But there was something that happened. There was a sister, we all used to call her Bina Chechi. Chechi means elder sister. She used to go in the morning, come back in the afternoon and teach the classes in the evening and Morning she would again go. Again evening teach. Morning again go. So one day I casually asked, where is Bina Chechi going? They said, no, when the dates were fixed, it clashed with her exam dates. She's doing her finals. Undergraduate finals. But she had volunteers to teach the new Kids who are coming. I said, wow. Final year, exams. Going in the morning, writing the exam, coming back, and then teaching through the afternoon and night. I said, wow. That's the first time I realized, wow, people, crazy people are there in the kingdom. Two months passed, three months passed, four months passed after that. One day, I look in the newspaper and say, hey, I know this sister. First rank, Keller University, Bina Chako. Got on order. Instead, we are so busy changing God's schedule to fit ours. And we expect God to honor us. God has proclaimed in his word, He who honors me, I will honor them. That's why we said in 31st, put God first. Little, little way, start your day. Eyes open, get on your knees and say, Thank you, Lord. One more day to serve you. Wherever you take me. Whatever, to serve you. One more day, Lord. Use me for your glory. Let me not sin with my lips. Let me not sin with my eyes. Let me not sin with his ears. This body I give you as a living sacrifice. This year is the year of overflow in my life, Lord. I believe. Start each day. Only six days are over. Start each day. Serious with God. Because God is very... Can wash away my sin but the blood of Jesus what can Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. First Sunday, an incredible year, Lord, full of your promise, full of your presence. We just surrender as a church. We are yours, and I pray, Father, every part of the body will be touched, every part of the body will be sanctified, every part of the body will be healed, every part of the body will be filled. And above all, every part of the body will be used for the glory of the King, Lord. This morning, even as we partake of your elements of your body and your blood, I pray it will reignite the fire in every life, Lord. That our hearts will be on fire for you. It will be like fire shut in our bones, Lord. From the youngest to the oldest, let there be a, a rerouting of our soul back to the king and to the kingdom today, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, as we come to the conclusion, the first Sunday's message, I'm really pepping myself up to meet a thousand kids whose minds have been blanketed with the world and song and dance and music and junk to get them back To the Lord, you have to realize how difficult the church has made the preaching of the gospel because they brought the world in. That you look at the young generation, you look at their eyes, they struggle to concentrate. Honestly, it's got nothing to do with them, it's got to do with us. We took them and messed them up in the world. They are hardly able to concentrate, their minds are so distracted. That's exactly what the devil wants. A distracted mind, he knows, is going nowhere. We have to ask God, touch me, Lord. Help me to focus. Put you first. Put your kingdom first, Lord. Not entertainment, not career, not studies. That will all have its proper place in life. But you and your kingdom first. And this is the year. I believe God will use many. Even in your classrooms, many, God will use. Many. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 21, Scripture says, because the purpose of all this for believers, unbelievers, is to get into the kingdom. Believers is to be sanctified. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor. Just say in your heart, Lord, I want to be a vessel of honor. In your hands, sanctified. And useful for the master. The master being holy. Will only use sanctified vessels. All those who just partook of communion. You had a cup. Which is never used for any purpose. The pastor of the church. Collects it. And keeps it with him. Washes it. And brings it back. Every first Sunday. Why? Because it has become a sanctified vessel. Abigail won't use it to play with her dolls. Justin won't serve tea in it. No. It is set apart for a holy purpose. and That's what God is saying. Sanctified for the master. Prepared for every, not preaching, every good work. When you become a vessel in the Lord's hand, it doesn't matter what work, where you are placed, the work you do will be a good work because you have become a vessel in the Master's hands. None of us, let me tell you, can stand by and do nothing. I told you on 31st, I told you on 1st, I told you on Wednesday. Take one small step of faith this year. Not to church. Before you take a step towards church, take a step into your prayer closet. Every day. A little time alone with God. Surrender yourself daily. Say, Lord, i offer myself and just see how god starts filling you and stretching you stretching you it happens if you're a willing vessel god like 10 days back in that military diary farm road my wife is coming back home, and you know, at that curve, the Iskon people, no, Hararam Harakrishnan, they are always there with their Gitas and everything, and all white people. And they will stop your vehicle and try to give you. They try to give my wife a Gita. And she said, You should be ashamed. Where are you from? And he realized. Okay, he said, he said, Where did you not a Christian? He said, Yeah, I was a Baptist. He said, repent and come back to your God. And she was reading one of the Bibles she had. He said, will you give me your Bible? She gave him his Bible. And she gave him her number. Two days back, he called back crying. Say, I want to go back to God. Oh, yeah. You believe. You believe. That's how we decide. We call it accidents. These are God's incidents in his children's life. You have to believe. Everywhere I go. Doesn't matter, supermarket, restaurant, everywhere. That's why even if you go out to eat in a restaurant, never be ashamed to put your head down and pray. No, I'm not ashamed of my God. thanking Him for this. And pray for all the waiters, all those who serve you. Pray for them. Do not be ashamed of God because God is not ashamed of us. And He says, if you deny me, I will deny you. If you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. So this year, little by little by little, you will see God increasing your borders. And you're realizing, oh wow, I am making a vessel in his hands. And at the end of the year, you can look back and you'll realize, wow, how did this year begin? Because you cannot stand by and watch a generation go to hell. There is a battle has to be won there before it is won here. All these tracts and preaching will be of no effect if you do not have people on their knees interceding. Battle is first one in the spiritual realm. You see a correlation on earth; subsequent, you will see an effect on earth. In Hebrews seven and verse twenty-five, scripture says. So say Exodus seventeen eleven. Can I have that? Exodus seventeen eleven. So it was when Moses held up his hand. Joshua won. Israel prevailed. Israel is fighting in the valley against Amalek. But for Israel to win, his hand has to be up. So you need to realize the battle is won there and it is reflected here. His hands come down, Israel loses. If the church is losing, that means people are not winning. Okay? I'm not talking about GTC. I'm talking about the church. When I use the word church, I mean the whole worldwide church. The church is actually being pushed into the corners of the society. It's because people are not praying. In America, Europe, church is already retreated from all the public spaces. America, they are being pushed. Yet in the most powerful, regressive regime in the world, China, the Communist Party is only afraid of the church. Why the difference? Why the difference? because they fear the church they know it is real they are only afraid of the church they are not afraid of anybody because they know there are more Christians in China than actually communist party members underground church will risk their life for a meeting because that is a praying church it is a praying church maybe one day I can show you pictures from the underground church they don't read their bibles like they do not even in the church. This is how they read their Bible. That's how they read. And their song books are wet with their tears. And God hears the cry and the church keeps on expanding and expanding and growing. Every year probably the converts are in millions. So Moses' hands were up. Israel won. This is a year of prayer and fasting. Hebrews 7 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always loves to. You see, in heaven, his hands are up. Who are those who are fighting on earth in his name? His hands haven't come down. He is making intercession for the saints. And God says. in the battle. Hands are raised up in heaven. God says, will you fight? Will the Deborah's jails and Baraks rise up? A generation can be saved. Get into your prayer closet. That's where it all begins. Cry out to the Lord. Every time it is written, In the Bible, in the book of Judges, let us look at one. Judges, when the children of Israel cried, God raised up their victory. God says, you cry, I will walk. No cries, no walk. That's God's nature. Why? Because Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such that has a contrite spirit. When the oppression became too much and they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please. God says, I am with you. And he raised up his, a leader and a people who could fight. Don't get excited by the overflow. And the blessings. Let your closet be a place. Where God hears your cries. And sees your tears. When his son was on earth. God heard his cries. And saw his tears. As I close. I want to give you an encouraging portion. From the Bible. In 2nd Kings chapter 20. Verses 1 to 3. The prophet Isaiah. Comes to a king and says. In those days. Hezekiah was sick. And Near death, Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amoss, went to him and said to him, "Thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. you're going to die, you're not going to live, put everything in order and die in peace. Then he turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the lord saying Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth, with a loyal heart, have done what was good in your sight, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. You know what scripture says? In verse 4 and 5, listen to what God says. It happened before Isaiah had gone into the middle court. He gave this and he walked. Before he reached till there, God's word came to him and said, return. And tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. I see your tears. Go back and tell it 15 more years. I saw your tears. I heard your cry, I saw your tears. Our God is not a God who walks away from tears. He said, go tell him, on the third day, he will arise and go to the temple. Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave. And a few moments later, a man rose from the dead and walked out. When the women of Israel, of Jerusalem, were crying in Luke 23, This is what Jesus said. He's on the road to Calvary being beaten, being taken. And the women are crying. And he said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourself and your children. And he's telling us, weep for yourself and weep for your children. After saying this, three days later, he rose from the grave. If you and I cry out. Weep for another generation. Don't be selfish and weep for only your children. God doesn't like it. Weep for all children. All children. Many years ago, a young couple came to me. They had, they were married and they didn't have children. So they were planning to adopt a baby. And they came to me for counseling. And they said, we are going to adopt this baby. So I looked at them and said, I'm telling you this. You adopt this baby and I'm telling you God will open your wife's womb. And when you have your own children you should not treat this differently. This and that will, should be all your children. Exactly as I said after that the mother conceived one the mother conceived two because you cannot just cry for your own. You have to treat the others also as your own. God doesn't like selfish prayers and many of our prayers are absolutely selfish. Lord, deliver my son. God says, what about other sons? How come you are not moved? I allowed this to happen to your son, to your daughter so that your heart would be moved for sons and daughters. Be moved. Be moved. Because if the church doesn't arise in the West, US and Europe, Christianity is Just one generation away from death. One generation away. But I believe this year it's going to be unbelievable harvest of souls. Unbelievable harvest of souls in the kingdom of God. There is going to be a move of the Holy Spirit like never before. And I have a gut feeling. It's not prophecy, nothing. Gut feeling. We are going to see in 2019 the beginning of the end of time beginning of many things. The end has time is going to wrap up and the beginning of things that we will see Jesus coming back. I'm not setting time frame. It is not my business but I am telling you something tells. Something is going to change this year. And if you are not connected with God, you may not even know it. That is the sad part. It's one of the things you learn, the lesson of resurrection. After he rose from the dead, he did not show himself to anyone who did not believe. Anyone who did not believe. He only showed himself to those who believed in him. Didn't show himself to him. He could have gone to the Pharisees and said, here I am risen. Hey, Pilate, nothing. Unbelievers come by faith. Those who believed in me, even though they were afraid and sat in closed doors, to them I will reveal. That's why the Bible warns over and over, those who have ears, let them hear what the Holy Spirit says. And this year for many, I'm praying as you begin your journey in your closet, you will actually hear God speaking to you. Remember Wednesday? When he spoke to Elijah, he was not in the wind. It's not in the earthquake. It was not in the fire. It was in the whisper. Learn to listen to the divine whisperer. One whisper is enough. Change the direction of your life. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You hear that? All the questions in life starts falling into place go that way you came this way go that way and on the way you will meet a young man anoint him mentor him he will change the next generation well here yeah. it's a living book there is a living God and there is a living spirit who speaks learn to listen to him children shall we stand Don't forget to pray for me as I go tomorrow. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. How many times we keep saying it, it never loses its meaning or depth. Who are we that you are mindful of us? Who are we that you even use us? One angel is enough. To save the whole world. Or to judge the whole world. Yet you use such fragile vessels like us. Caught in fear. Caught in doubt. Emotionally often messed up. Discouraged, depressed. Yet you feed us. You give us rest. You whisper to us. And you commission us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. What can we say, Lord? But... Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I pray over the church today, here and all our churches. I pray, Father, first and above all, a desire to be in your presence. A desire to set apart time for you. And a desire for open ears. I pray people encounter you one-on-one in their prayer closets. And lives will be changed in the prayer closet. And I pray you will fill them with your Holy Spirit. As they empty, they will hunger for more. And I also pray Lord, they will be humble. They will fear God. And you will give them gifts. I pray for many, many gifts in the body of Christ this year. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I pray everyone who receives it will remain humble Amen. Under the hand of the mighty God and will not run with their gift, but will use it as the Spirit directs. But through it all, they will learn to give you glory and honor. Because in us, we have nothing. In you, we have everything. And we come, we confess in the midst of our weakness. That we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. I pray for a harvest in offices where your children work. In homes among unsaved loved ones. A harvest in schools and colleges where your children go. I pray for a harvest. They don't necessarily have to come to this church. But I pray everyone in that harvest will find a church. A place where they can call. Their home on earth. Where they will be fed Lord. As we go into another week. We believe. You are our shield. You are our fortress. Above all. You are our reward. I pray. That every one of us here standing in your house. Will experience. Even the babies in the womb. Will experience you this week more than we have experienced in the days past, Lord. Experience you. Thank you, Father. I pray you protect our children, little ones, older ones, teenagers, their minds. Deliver those who are addicted to anything, substance, gadgets, deliver them. Set them free to worship you, to serve you. Speak healing into bodies. You are our healer. And I pray as they continuously surrender their bodies to the Lord. Your word will come to pass in every body. The body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And above all, I pray through this week, in closets, mothers will arise. Praying Deborahs will arise. Warriors like Jael will arise. And hell will tremble. This will be the year. That, oh Lord, restoration takes place in homes and families. I pray, Father, flow into our life. Let there be nothing blocking it, Lord. Let there be the fear of the Lord received and complacency disregarded, Lord. And we may be filled to the brim to overflow, Lord. That your kingdom may come through us. Thank you, thank you, Father. Now by faith we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Thank you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. and Amen.